0: With Adam R. Welcome to Three PNR. I'm your host, Adamar, and joining me for this episode is Eric McCants, investigative sergeant of narcotics and SWAT team member. Eric, how you doing, sir?
1: fine, uh-huh, sir. How you doing?
0: Doing well. Your job is not the job for the average Joe. That's a tough job.
1: Yeah, it can be pretty rough at times.
0: Yeah, that's that's gonna wear on you a bit. That's you know, yeah, that's it's game time for you. Every time you step out, it's game time, right?
1: Yes, sir. So you always got to keep your head on swivel. You just never know.
0: So well, let's talk about this. Let's start with this. What put Eric on the path of law enforcement?
1: Uh, honestly, uh, I went off to college when I was seventeen, and uh, I went to school for business management. Uh, basically, like, I've been training martial arts for about 12, 13 years. And my cousin had a karate school. And basically, like I say, he was teaching me the ropes of karate and the aspect of, you know, building the business. And I went up to school to eventually, you know, help him with the business. But like I said, I was 17 years old. So eventually I started playing around, ended up getting kicked out of school because, you know, I I wasn't going to class, just doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. And then I started working at a store called Kroger. And then, like I say, my mother was on my back saying that, well, you need to get back in school. So I just had me working at Kroger. It was also there working special duty. He was telling another guy, you should join the police academy, but you'll be a good job. I like, Ugh. he talked to me about it. And I'm like, well, my mother's bothering me. So I said, what the heck? I'll try it out. So eventually I went to the police academy, signed up, went through it, fell in love. And here I am today.
0: Yeah. So, and I mean, from where you, from starting <clears throat> the academy, Rob, work your way to SWAT. That's uh, again, that's, you know, coach, give me the ball. That's, that's that kind of attitude. Oh, yeah. uh,
1: well, basically, like I said, I went to this new agency in uh, 2017 and my sheriff won the election. He brought me over. Uh and most of the guys that came from a different agency. And basically, like I said, there was all on the SWAT team. They were all in shape guys. They did this and that. And then I just made a site that I wanted to be on the SWAT team. You know, at the time I was about 350 pounds. I've always been a pretty big guy. And based on the SWAT team, you had to have certain qualifications and they want you to run long distance and all that stuff. Me, I never been a long distance runner. I don't like running like that. But I had to learn how to do it. So eventually like I say I got myself in shape, lost about fifty pounds, I was able to get on the SWAT team like I've been enjoying ever since. Like I say, um just to the brotherhood that you have on the SWAT team and people, how you think that you can trust that, you know, you'll go through any room with is just something I always enjoyed. And I say, joining the SWAT team. has been one of the best decisions I made. Yeah. I mean, that's
0: a, that's what what I think of SWAT team, man. That's, that's, that's varsity football. It's big league, right? You got to be ready to play that.
1: And uh, you got to keep your head on. Like I say when they call you, you got to be ready to go. You can't just make up excuses. I say it's your time to go and you got to be always mentally ready to do what you need to do to handle that situation.
0: Yeah. They're calling you guys. in. it's not because it's some, you know, basic incident that's taking place. That's what I say to people a lot. Uh, there's this whole defund the police thing and I, I try to make it clear to them. It's people like Eric McCants. When when there's a problem coming up, they call him and the team in. Because I promised a guy down the road who's a dentist isn't gonna want to deal with it. What you deal with, yeah. most people wouldn't even consider getting near it. It's necessary for for, you know, people like yourself. So for yes, you so moving yeah, for- forward, um so tell me about getting involved with us. So you're in the police department. You get the SWAT. Tell me about the um the first couple of years in. How'd that go?
1: Uh, well, the first couple of years in, like I said, I joined out straight out the academy. And uh, my current sheriff was actually my first chief. And uh, he brought me in. I was 20 years old. Uh, I enjoyed working. Like I said, I was always one of those proactive workers. And basically, like I said, he put me in the housing division. And he told me, my partner, he said, go take control of the housing division. And basically, in the area we are working in, it's kind of had a lot of problems with, you know, people trying to fight officers, you know, people selling drugs and stuff. And so basically he let us loose. And, you know, me being 20, I took that literally. I said, man, if you broke the law, you was going to jail. I said, don't get me wrong. We didn't break the rules. But, I mean, we were running and gunning after everybody. I mean, that's just how we were. And then eventually, like I say, he told me, you know, y'all need to slow it down. I said, y'all got control of the area. You can, you know, tone it down a little bit. But, you know, I was still in that mindset. I was 20. I got like to say, I gotta go. I got I to gotta give it to these people. I mean, you know, they got to go to jail. I mean, they commit crimes. And eventually, like I said, man, just with some other things, getting in trouble, uh, speeding, as I do uh, sometimes, and just different things uh, eventually had to part ways with me. And basically what he told me was, like I said, he's always been one of my mentors. He said, you're going to be a good officer one day, but you need to grow up. And like I said, man, you know, my social life was kind of interfering with my work life and things like that start running over. And he said, basically, you know, it was just becoming a bad look. So, we parted ways. And like I said, my first year and a half, that's basically what it was. Like, the first year I was running the gun, putting people in jail. And like I said, we did positive work. I said, we got the area of uh, the control they wanted us to do. But it took me a minute to, you know, draw back. Like I, said, I was young. I said, you told me, gave me a task. I'm going to stick to it. And then eventually, like, okay, man, you know, you got to calm down right now. Hopefully, this will, you know, get you better. He said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and let you resign. He said, give yourself a couple of years to grow up and mature. And then you come back. And that's basically how that happened with my first year and a half of law enforcement.
0: That's a good mentor,
1: right? Yes, sir. That's a really that's a good
0: thing. Yeah. I mean, he he recognized that you you weren't there maturity wise and he said, take some time, come back when you're ready. And you did. And you and you're and you're progressing through it. I mean, that's that's solid advice where most people like just tough it up and just try to do better. Like he recognized that. That's a very good thing.
1: So yes, sir. Uh, My has always been a positive influence in my life. Uh, like I said, he's he's actually my instructor in academy. And he left halfway to become the chief of that police department. And then when he left, he called me. He like, okay, man, you know, you want to get a job? He put me on the job. And he like, okay, well, I see you got a little issues. You need to grow up a little bit. Then he told me to resign. And after that, went to another agency for a couple of years. Then he called me up. He like, hey, man, we got a position. Because he started working at the Board of Education. And he he already knew how I was. You know, I'm not, a, not the biggest fan of working around kids. Because kids, it takes a special person that has patience yeah. to work with them. But he brought <laughs> me over there. I worked with kids for about a year and a half that experience learning that basically uh officer discretion that you know everybody doesn't deserve to go to jail everybody doesn't deserve to be punished some people just gotta be talked to you gotta handle a certain way and I worked there and there uh told me to go get my you know college degrees he said because you're gonna need it and he said it's not gonna make you a better officer but it's gonna give you more tools in your bag. I did that got my bachelor's and masters and uh, here I am today.
0: You know that that's needed more mentors like that are that's I can't express to you how big a deal that is just to hear that that's impressive. And the fact that you did it, you raised yes, up sir. and did it. I mean, yes, it's a, it's a zero excuses scenario. I think that was, I mean, I think you got lucky. You had a great mentor and your outcomes really good. You're working a job that most people can't handle. That's needed. Might I add? Yeah. I think mm-hmm. there's, there needs to be more mentorship like that out there.
1: Yeah. Like I said, my, my share has been, uh, he's Alfonso Williams. He works down here in Brook County. And like I said, man, he's always, been one of those people that can get a good job. He's always been efficient at his job. I say he's not a nitpicker, but he likes things a certain way, but he knows how the jobs go. And even recently, like I say, before he came to the agency, you know, people weren't too big on college education and law enforcement, but he's been pushing that hard. And right now, we're like at 30% of our agency. He's trying to get more people to join. Like I say, he's always talking to anybody. He'll give you solid advice if you need something. Like I say, he's been very successful in his career. Like I say, I try to, you know, bottom of my career kind of at the hurts his uh, he said, if I need advice for certain things I was always go to, go to him and talk to him about certain things because I mean he's been there and done that and he's gonna always lead you in the right path even as not at his agency if you know some people you know they give you advice and they're going to tell you to stay he's one of the people he said if you can't grow here I say you got to spread your wings he always told me that he said man you got your bachelor's degree in master's degree. he said don't get locked down in the local agency that you already been at he said I mean, you know try to go out spread out go to different agencies see where else you can get going for yourself instead of being in the same agency, unless that's something you truly want to do.
0: Cool. Huh. This, this, the more I hear about this guy, the more I'm impressed, man. I mean, that's, you're a very fortunate individual, how that guy in your camp. That's a big oh, deal. I guess so, yeah. So, for, all right, so let's talk about SWAT. What are some situations mm-hmm. that you, that, what what were the more, I don't know, let's say the scarier side of it, things that you were involved with?
1: Well, obviously, like I said, man, I work in a rural county. It's about 835 square miles but it's only about 20,000 people. And like I say, we might get activated maybe two or three times a year. But like I said that's why our team is a part-time team. Basically, like I said, we're on the call right. or on duty when they need it. Um, and honestly, like I said, man, we had a couple of situations where we go out there. It might be a standoff. But in most situations, people are just going to come out. Like I say, you might have to give them a couple of hours or get their mind right, whatever. But like I said we haven't had that instance where we had the full, full throttle. And I mean, knock on wood that we don't have to do that. But basically, like I said, we're a handle the SWAT for the surrounding counties because there are other small counties too with limited you know resources, so we handle that. But as far as handling those type of situations, we haven't had it down here in Burke County. I'm thankful for that. But our neighboring agency, Richard County, which is like a bigger agency, they have about 250,000 people that live in the county. They have a lot more crime just because of the more people. They have a little bit different call volume. And like I said, this why team might get activated maybe once a month or every other month. And like I said, they have real deal situations that they have dealt with already. But they had to, you know, take people's lives, or you know, forcibly get somebody out of a house.
0: Yeah, I mean, no matter how you look at it, too, um, you never, especially with SWAT, if you're being called in, it's clearly it's a situation that's that's, you know, high tension. And when I, 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 I can't beat on it enough, but I, I constantly hear people say things, or not people, it's on social media, and they're saying things like, oh, you know, we got. to, defund the police and we, we got to have them better regulated. But, you know, I, I asked, I, and I've had these conversations with some of these people, right? I've I've spoken to some and said, mm-hmm. and I asked them like, well, let me ask you if someone's in your neighborhood and they got weapons and there's a big issue going on, who are you going to call? And I, I promise it's not your neighbors and you're not going to deal with it. There needs to be mm-hmm. this network of people who are, could expand to the, to every inch of the nation. And that's, that's law enforcement in, in short, you know? Yes, sir. So when I hear just defund a police thing, and then I think about like scenarios like where SWAT gets involved, who again I have to ask who who they think is going to deal with that? It's, it's not yeah. going. I promise the neighbors aren't going to take up arms against it. So now you're in um, you're an investigative sergeant with a uh, web narcotic, narcotics.
1: Yes, sir. What's the day to day on that? Uh, basis day to day is man, you know, you get some intel from either the community. For of other officers, you know, about a division that might be selling drugs in the area. And basically, what you do, man, you're going out there and you're doing surveillance. You want to watch this person. Uh, first, you want to, you know, verify if they are selling drugs. Two, you want to catch somebody leaving there and maybe develop somebody, you know, that can help you out. And like I say, you just want to constantly see what they're doing. Like I said, man, uh, drugs is a big issue. Some people don't see that. as, but I say, hey, if you get to talk to a mother or father who lost their child to overdose or something like that, or lost their child to violence over drugs. You understand how big a problem is, and like I say, yeah. it's not going anywhere. I mean, it's one of the biggest industries in America right now. It's just illegal drugs. It's just how it is. I mean, people they like that euphoria of getting high and stuff like that. Yeah. But like I say from the day to day for us, like I say, man, you know, you might get a person that you need to, you know, target, you know, develop, you know, your probable cause or whatever. If you're gonna do a search warrant or you're gonna do a vehicle takedown, and like I say you create an action plan, you do for what you do. And like I say, sometimes these cases might take a week. Sometimes cases might take six months to a year. It just depends on how big the case is, how far it reaches. Like say, you know, you might be in a little small city, county or whatever, and that might reach all the way to Texas or to California from where the drugs is coming from. And like I say, basically what you're doing is connecting the dot, see if you can get, you know, leads to that other area. And like I say, basically what we want to do is, you know, we want to get the small fish out, take us to the big fish. And then eventually you want to go ahead and get the big fish out. But like I said, man, uh, just seeing how people are with these pills and fit and all that stuff. is kind of crazy because, I mean, people are overdosing on this stuff daily. And certain people are like, okay, well, it's not that big. It's a drug. It's their choice. But once again, like I said, until you see that parent coming around screaming or that child doesn't have their mother or father because they overdose, then you don't think it's a problem. And like I said, most people are not affected by things until it happens to them. And they feel like, well, I don't do drugs and it's not my problem. But it's a really big issue that we're facing.
0: Yeah, especially the violence that comes from it, too, right? Because you got to consider some people, there's two sides of that coin, right? There's a guy oh, yeah, who's yeah. selling it, and he's going to, you know, he's going to obviously want his territory covered and or people owe him money. And then the other side, you have the addict who's going to be desperate and do just about whatever it takes to get the next fix, whether it be rob someone, breaking a house, or armed robbery. I mean, there's a list that goes with that, and <laughs> you're at the center of it. It's a tough one. I mean, that's why I said when I first spoke to you, your job's tough, man. Like that, yeah. that's not something most people wake up every day and say, look, man, I guess I'm going to deal with this today.
1: I mean, you're, you're, yeah. you're pushed for it. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of violence around just narcotic sales and all that. Uh, from what like I like to man, just people trying to rip off other, the competition, you know, take them out and all that. Um, a lot of times, you know, people might be selling drugs to another person. They think they're cool. And that person might be trying to rip them off. And like I said, you got the addicts who defeat their habit they'll go break into people cars you know steal things from people houses and all that stuff it's just a load of violence around it and like some people they don't see it they don't think it's so but like i say you might just think it's might have been a simple shooting or a simple murder that happened in your area you think well okay it's just nothing to it but if you get to the backstory or well, this person might have been ripped off from a drug deal or they felt like they were short or being disrespect, disrespected or someone stepping on their property or their territory as well as some drugs, and then the violence comes. So, man, it's, it's like I say, the drug game is very crazy, and people just don't see it like that. They Like I say, a lot of people, if it doesn't affect them or they're not directly touched by it, they just don't understand how big and how deep it runs.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you consider this, man. I mean, it's everywhere. You know, drugs are, there's this misconception that drug problems are specifically for the inner cities. It's everywhere. My best one oh, yeah. of my best friends died of drugs. He overdosed uh, in 2001 long time ago and uh, mm-hmm. he got hit the pills he got. he got through another friend whom he got from a, a, another person at the, at the end of the story, these pills came from a source in some other part of Florida which at a higher up so it's people like you that have to get involved to help track down that bigger person and take them down or else more people are going to be victims to this to this narcotic.
1: It's a scary business. Yeah. Yes, sir. A lot of people think just when I mean, you know, live a small city, a lot of things are going on. I can guarantee you, narcotics are either being sold there or they're coming through there. It's just how it is. I mean, people get hooked on narcotics from one or the other, or they just want the high, or they've been injured and they get hooked on it. But like I said, narcotics are everywhere. And people just got to get out of the mindset. Well, it's not happening here. You might not see it. And that's why I tell you, a lot of people, you know, you go to these different neighborhoods where there's no crime or whatever, and then you do a search warrant, you find all these drugs. People might not see it, but you got to understand it's all the way around. You always got to be, you know, vigilant to it, Pierce. You just never know what's going on.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, not to laugh at it, but these TV, you ever watch these TV shows? Like I have, all right, an example. I like the blacklist. I like it a lot. It's a good show. Um, mm-hmm. Dialogue-wise, anyway. But there's these these parts where you see they have their uh, their SRT, or their their SWAT team, they got their gear on, and then there's the two main people with, you know, no, no vest on, no helmet on, and they're, they're leading this team. And it makes me nuts, right? And I bring this point up because I wonder how many people watch these shows like and think, "Oh, well, you know, it's a cake job," but they don't realize the stress that's involved with it. I mean, for you, when you're on when you're on site, the tension and the buildup for it. So, what's it like for you upon getting called in?
1: Yeah, uh, like even for us when we do a narcotics search for one, I mean, for one, definitely if you're over it, you got to be responsible for not only yourself but the people on the team, the people that's around the area. And the offender. So, man, that's just a lot to take into account, like I say. Whatever's going to go wrong is going to happen. Like, so that's just how it is. I say, you always plan for things to go this way. You want everything to be smoothly, but I guarantee you something's going to go out of place. It might not be big, but it's going to happen. But, yeah, people watch TV and they get the misconception that, you know, you can solve a crime in a a day or an hour like people do on TV. It doesn't work like that. Even like when you do a search warrant or something like that, you go back to to somebody's house. I mean, that takes weeks. Um, weeks or even days of investigation getting your stuff together getting the paperwork together before you hit it like i said for that little two or three minutes that you hit the house you have a whole bunch of hours you spent trying to get there and like i tell people man it's just something that you got get used to you can't look at tv i've seen people talk even on calls they'll be like okay well you know i've seen when people get fingerprints off of you know wet paper or stuff like that or they get dust for this and that i like i say you watch it on tv that's just not how it works yeah <laughs> you gotta understand it works but you know TV plays a part to a lot of things, and people think, okay, well, if I give you this person, you can go ahead, just do a search warrant on the house right now and go we'll get the drugs. I say I can't just take your word for it. I had to do my own investigation. I had to be able to build up probable cause to take to a judge to even get a search warrant. I say, but like I say that's just how TV is. TV influences a lot of people, and they think that's how things work.
0: Yeah, it's crazy, right? Especially when you watch. For me, it's hard for me to watch. Like again, even shows I like, I, I see parts. My like, come on, man. There's no way this this lady with no top on, no 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 vest is, is leading a team into these places. So I, it becomes a you know for people watching it becomes like this thing. Like, well, I could do that. Like, no, you can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh yeah, I see it all the time, man. Like I say, I, I was a real big fan of Chicago PD and Law Order for years. And like I say, I mean, once you get into law enforcement, man, you're like, yeah, that's not about to happen. I say that's just not even possible or feasible. But like I say, it's good TV. People watch it, and then some people take it to heart and believe that's just how things go. Yeah,
0: sad. So for you, let's talk. Well, obviously, you I mean you had a lot of martial arts in your background prior to, right? Yes, sir. Yes, I mean that, that's really helpful, especially in, a, in for what you do. What's um? Oh yeah, just what's one of the more I don't know what's 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 more of the nerve wracking uh, incidents you were involved with, if you had to name one.
1: Uh I want to say it's bear breaking uh just basically about two or three years ago, one of my lieutenants had you know arrested a guy for burglary. so he took him out to the office and basically he was talking to the guy he was you know just trying to get more information on it and then you know he told me to transport the guy, so I'm getting the guy ready and it was kind of my my fault anyway because they had the guy handcuffs in the front, so you know I'm about to walk out the door with him and somebody calls my name so, you know I'll turn back around and look and by that time I hear his handcuffs jiggling like this guy took off full sprint. And as I told you before, I'm a pretty big fellow. So, you know, I give chase to him. Uh, he jumps a wood fence. I run through the wood fence. He jumps another fence. I run through the fence. And by this time, me being a big guy, we don't ran about six yards. I mean, I, I, my train is losing. But I was able to, you know, shout loud enough like, hey, everybody else hurt me. So, you know, all the people from my office, you know, they take off running. One of my lieutenants doesn't even have a dog. He's like, well, here comes a dog. I'm looking around thinking, like, it's a dog coming. He only have a dog. And then one of the little guys on our team, man, kind of smaller guy about 160 all you see is him coming full speed past everybody i mean you know because i'm i'm back there trying to catch my breath and he eventually catches the guy long story short we took him back in custody we got him for instruction and all that stuff but uh he was a burglar subject so i guess he didn't want to go back to prison so from him taking off on me almost like the guy that was you know wanted for prison well not wanted for prison but wanted for burglary take off on me and we lost him but they caught it. so
0: yeah. Just one of those
1: crazy things that happens.
0: Yeah. I mean, regardless, it's a criminal who's going to be desperate. So if he does get to someone's home and he needs cover, <laughs> he's going to do whatever it takes.
1: Oh, yeah. It could turn crazy quickly.
0: You know, it's fun. There's a. Uh, so I had Lenny DePaul in the show. He's a former Secret Service, former U.S. Marshal. Uh, he had a show that he was on called Manhunters, Fugitive Task Force back in like the 08, 09.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, these are like some of the best law enforcement people from around the country that come to this task force to go, you know, arrest dangerous fugitives. And mm-hmm. so I, I was a big fan of that show when I had Lenny on, it was a big deal for me. Cause I love that dude. Right. Him and pepper was mm-hmm. my other guy. Pepper was my dude. Right. So anyway, I'm watching his show and I'm thinking, you know who the bravest person in that show is. And I, like people always ask, well, it has gotta be that cop. He's knocking the door. I'm like, no, it's the camera guy. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's yeah. not taking cover at all. He is right in the dead center of it all. And there was one mm-hmm. episode in particular where they're chasing this guy on foot. And that's what you made me think about it. And they're running for this dude, and the camera guy's keeping pace with him the whole time. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> good for that guy, you. man." I mean, I wonder what his waiver uh, I wonder what his waivers got to be like.
1: I mean, got to be crazy, man. You know, some of the stuff that they get into, I mean, some of the stuff is for TV, but a lot of the stuff is kind of real. And man, being a cameraman, man, you just out there. Yeah, you I mean, know, like, people don't like cameras in their face anyway. So you know,
0: you need to. If you, you watch that show, uh, Manhunters, I believe I had this one of the U.S. Marshals when they like in New Jersey. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yes, sir. sir. I watched a couple episodes of that. Yeah,
0: Yeah, that was a great show. Letty DePaul, man, that guy, like, he plays the role well. Like, he's in that role well, and he's got a lot of respect from his his officers. But the people they're going after, and again, not to remind people of this defund police thing, who else goes after these people if not law
1: enforcement? Mm -hmm.
0: Right? You're talking about
1: murderers. Yeah, and like I said, a lot of people, like I said, they just don't feel the need for them, but they don't understand, like, they don't need these people until. They need them. Like I say, you don't think too much about the U.S. Marshals or DEA or stuff until stuff directly affects you. Now, if you ain't never had somebody in your family murdered or, you know, raped or robbed or something like that, you're going to be like, okay, man, you know, why are they out here chasing these people? But until that stuff happens to you and you want them to go to jail and pay for the crimes, you understand the importance of Like I said, man, there's a lot of people, you know, times people might commit a serious crime or felony and they get away and they're not able to, you know, be caught because, you know, they might leave the state Leave the area, and you know, just most times the sheriff's office don't have the resources or the manpower to go out there and find them like they 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 can, and that's when you turn the case over to these different agencies like DA or U.S. Marshals. They have the resources; they go find these people.
0: Yeah, and you know, like for you, you're in a small community. Um, Brett Preston is another uh, officer I'm in communication with on LinkedIn. He's in this, uh, the town of Sneed's Police Department. It's another small community, but they're needed. Mm-hmm. So if you remove yes, you and Brett Preston and other officers of the law that are in these small com- – or even defund them and have like one or two guys, you know who's going to suffer is is the community because opportunists are going to see that, and they're going to go Ooh, right yeah. to those communities and shut, set up shop. They're going to realize there's no presence there of law enforcement. They're going to feel like they could just pull away whatever they want.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why like, a lot of places that hack to defund, defund the police and have done so. Uh, you can see the lawlessness that's around it. Um, they just feel like they could do whatever they want. Like, I've seen videos of just people just going to convenience stores or clothing yeah. stores and just grab as many clothes and shoes and TVs as they want and just walk out, but they know the officers can't chase them, they can't do anything to them, or it's going to be just, like, a petty crime. Like I say, you got to hold people responsible for the crimes to commit. If not, they're going to keep committing. And that's why I keep telling people, like, yeah, you might lock somebody up for selling drugs, for stealing, shoplifting, all that stuff, but if they're not being held accountable through the court system, or people are dropping their charges, then they feel like, well, okay, man, I can keep doing it. Right. And that's one of the things I, I have, you know, like I worked inside the juvenile justice system. I don't believe every juvenile deserves to be punished, but the ones that do need to be punished, you got to punish them severely. Like I say, if, it's, if they feel like I don't get away with it now, I can get away with it over. Like I say, you just have that process, build up in a bit of mindset that, okay, if you do something bad, you have consequences to it. And then people just get like, okay, well, nothing happened before, I can do it again, and then it's just that circle, that revolving door that people have.
0: Yeah, it's scary. I was watching the same videos you're talking about. There's people with, cal- so they don't get hit with uh, grand larceny or, or the larger charges. They're walking around with calculators, figuring out what they could take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that should tell people, like, if you think that's okay, and you're going to let it slide, that that's going to become a bigger problem, because other opportunists are going to say, well, now we could do this to multiple stores and then turn around and sell the merchandise. I mean, and then it becomes a real issue. And you know, you can't back law enforcement. Look, did some things happen with cops in the, that were shitty? Sure. Uh, there's bad. Everybody. I've said this a lot of times on the show, there was a nurse who was a serial killer. There's a doctor who's killed people. There's <laughs> they a librarian and like, you know, dangerous people exist in everything. It's pure. It's, it's just though it's, we're humans. It's what we do, but people like you and some other officers, you know, you're the pillar. You're the, you're the person we need, uh, and especially the amount of training you have, right? It's good to. Have, I firmly believe it's good to have a lot of martial arts in the background because you could learn to hold someone better, right? You could hold them down without you know, being without it being fatal anyway. And so, rather than my thing is rather than defund police, I say this a lot, and I, I catch hell for it, but I think you increase funds, you you create more incentives, you you pay them better. Uh, you know, give them better training, go through a better screening process, whatever you have to do, but don't defund. That's the most, that's the craziest thing we're, anyone's ever said. We're seeing the effects
1: of this, and it scares yes, me. Yes, sir. And I say, uh, just, just like what you said, increasing the pay of uh, getting officers, you know, send us for training. Like I say, most officers don't get in law enforcement for the pay. Like I said, that's just how it is. Especially if you come down south. I mean, I say, we well, you can get paid pretty well in my agency, but you just know for the things that you do, most people wouldn't even take less than what half of what we're taking. So, I mean, that's just one of the things. But increasing the pay, then you can hold people a little bit higher. You expect better quality. But, you know, I know some places, well, officers, you know, it might be one or two people in the county or the city getting paid 19 dollars an hour. You expecting them to give their all? <laughs> I say, that's 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 just crazy. I say, especially when you're calling them from every little thing. That's what people don't understand. Like I say, most of the incidents that happen, and yeah, officers sometimes act out of you know not the way they're not supposed to or do bad. Officers, but sometimes, well, most times we're called there. We don't just approach people like you call us to come deal with your child because you can't deal with it. We can't get them dressed for school. And like I say people call us for different things like that, and these are things that officers should even have to deal with. Like you have a seven year old child that's acting up, crying, he won't do right, but you want us to come over there and try to intimidate them, and then when they get out of hand, the things go south, and the parents get mad at us. Like I said we're just here trying to do what you told us to do. Right. And you know, I and mean, that's where the snowball picks
0: the, the two people in the community who we need most are paid the least in, in most cases, right? Like we need police. They protect us from insanity, right? You got, you, you literally walk into fire where other people, like I was talking to Cloyd Steiger about this. He's a homicide detective. Most officers get up and there, and there's that large chance that something goes South, whether it be a great neighborhood or, or the inner city, you never know what's going to happen that day. So, And then the other person that should be getting paid more are the people who are supposed to be preventative in this, is our educators, our our, our teachers. <laughs> so you, you want the people to, that protect us and the people that educate us to, what, work harder for, for less money? It, the, the, and then you have some other people that make six figures and they're in corporate America. Granted, you worked hard to get where you are. Great, glad to hear it. But... It, it's, it's an irresponsible thing to say things like, well, you know, the police need to be held accountable. Well, you know, give them more money. Let them get better training. Let them get help. Uh, the the kids are out of control of school and my kids aren't learning. It's because the teachers are overwhelmed and they're underpaid. These are two yeah. citizens that we need the most and we like they're treated the worst. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. I like said so, I worked in school since so I know how bad it is with teachers and I feel sorry for them because, you know, they try the best to teach kids and they say, you're going to have 15 15- 20 kids in there. Like I said, 15 of them are gonna be good, but you're gonna have that five that's distracting. And you gotta deal with those five. Like you're taking away from the other kids because you got to deal with them constantly. And like I say, it's just that revolving door, like they don't want you to kick the kids out too much because they're gonna miss too much learning time. But then you gotta try to, you know, protect the integrity of the class and keep everybody learning. And like I said, it's just a hard thing to do. And like I say, not all classrooms are bad, but I've been to some, you know, schools and some classrooms, man. Kids are just outrageous, man. i say they either want to fight, want to disrupt the class, you know, want to cuss and do different things. They don't want to listen to adults. And like I said, a lot of times that come from home, but like I said, they feel like the parents are not going to hold them responsible, that you can't hold responsible. And that's where the, the issue comes. Yep. Like I said, I, you know, I, I can't tell you what your parents are going to tell you to do, what they can't tell you not to do. But I said, you're going to have to listen to us when we come into play. Like I said, we are giving you commands that you need to do something. And then I'd be like, well, my parents, you hear all the time, my parents don't talk to me that way, or they don't make me do this and that. I'm not gonna do it. And I said, that's when that issue comes in hand. And I said, that's where teachers come in, and then they call us. And like I said, it's just that revolving door. But I say, okay, well, this person won't get out of the classroom. They want us to teach They call the principal. The principal can't get them out of the classroom. But, you know, they kind of hands are kind of tied. They can't, you know, put their hands on the kid to get them out of the classroom they would come. And we gotta escort the kids out of it. They like I say it's just that snowball effect. And like I said, now a lot of stuff starts off from the house. Yeah. Like so you got to control these kids from when they're younger. So once they get older, you know, they'll you know, be more respectful. I'm not telling them to take crap for somebody uh, adult that's verbally abusive or, you know, that's doing things wrong. But most of these teachers are just trying to help you, trying to get you to pass this grade so you can be productive citizens. But a lot of kids just want to come to school for either a fashion show they just want to be bad. And like I said, some kids just come from bad homes, but a lot of them just don't even have a reason to be acting the way they do it. And so do it.
0: Agreed. You know, listen to, to a couple parts of that. One. My favorite actor of all time, Denzel Washington, he says, it starts in a home. He's mm-hmm. just to what you just said. That's it. Denzel said that exact quote. It starts in a home. And if you, if you're having trouble controlling it at home, then there's programs, there's, there's something out there that's going to help you or the parent help the child, right? Or some kids are just bad. Like, listen, <laughs> they, you don't have to have a broken home or bad parents to be a jerk. I was an asshole when I was a kid. You know, I actually apl- apologize. No, it's all good. I, I caught it as it went. But uh, I was saying, I, as a kid, I was a, I was a bit of an asshole as a kid. I was a jerk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my parents, you know, my father worked full-time pretty hard. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. So it wasn't like they were bad people. I was just, I was I had it in my blood to be a little jerk. Uh, it's when you grow up and you realize what it is. Like Even like I said this to Cloyd Steiger and a number of other cops I'd spoken to. I probably problems with the cops when I was a kid because I was an idiot. But I was respectful. And in hindsight... You grow up a little bit and you realize what you're doing, you change, just like you in the beginning when you were becoming a cop. Uh, you had to mature a little bit more and then come back to the game, right? Uh, even yes. so, so much so that I apologized to a teacher some years ago. I tracked her down, Miss Schaefer. I was like, Look, I was really sorry. I don't know why I acted that way or behaved that way. And you know what she told me? It's okay. You were a child, you were misguided. And, you know, but ultimately you figured it out. Somehow you figured it out. Uh, that's not the case for everyone, right?
1: now some. Some kids, like, and, and that's why I always tell people this is like a catch-22. Like I say, just work from the school system, you know what I'm saying? That some of these kids come from horrible conditions. Their parents are verbally and mentally abusive to them. And like I said, they come out to school and they act out. But then you have some kids, you know, they're just bad naturally. And sometimes yeah. it takes a little, from them getting in trouble, to do a little bit better. Like, like I say, man, I, when I first went to school, I went off to a private school. I say, it was a school run by the church I went to. And I said we had teachers and principals that if you acted up, they whooped you. That's just how it was. They put <laughs> out paddle, put out built, they whooped you. And say, you knew, okay, well, if I don't want that to happen again, I'm not gonna, you know, try them like that. And then I went to a private, uh, well a public school, and it was just a new world for me. Like, man, it was just a night and day difference from the private school to the public school. I mean, kids were different, teachers were different, and man, I say it took me a while to get adjusted, but I said I was pretty bad But then. Like I wasn't one of those bad kids that, you know, and all that stuff but i said i just couldn't control myself like I, said, I you know i always wanted to talk i just had this attitude about myself and like i said my mother was one of the people that just didn't play you get in trouble she's gonna whoop you and i said she was real good with a stitcher cord and like i say after a while you'll learn okay well, i'm gonna stop doing this i say it took me a good couple of years to get myself together but eventually i did i say about my seventh grade year after i went to alternative school learning to the school i learned said, so like, okay you don't want to get kicked back you want to be able one want problem with children get your act together. And I say, it takes a while. Some kids need a little bit more work than others. And I'd like say, that's just where that catch-22 comes in with teachers. Like I say you got to control your classroom, but you want to give some of the kids, you got to give a little extra attention, because like i say, they need it, but then you just have that bad element in some kids that just want to control the classroom and disrupt it. So like I said, it's just a catch-22 and that's why teachers need to be paid more because, I mean, they're dealing with so much, so many different personalities at one time, it can become crazy.
0: Yeah, I agree, because I, I could only imagine how many teachers are like, God, I don't get paid enough to deal with these kids, man.
1: You know? Oh yeah, you see it all the time, man I it, 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 It's crazy because A lot of times, also teachers, you know They take from their own pockets, from their own family To buy supplies and also for kids And a lot of people yeah. see that That's why I say, man, you just gotta be Keep your hands to them and, you know, increase their pay Because, man, we need them You need somebody to teach your kids You want them to be protected citizens And you want the best people to teach them
0: Yeah, there. I knew a teacher like that When I was in grade school, I lived in Brooklyn I had a teacher, me, uh, Mrs. Kugumas. And she used to bring snacks for the kids on her own dime, right? As incentive to do things right. Uh, mm-hmm. She was my favorite teacher, by the way, not just because of the rewards and the snacks, but she she knew how to speak to you at your level. So she had she acclimated to the to the student. That being said, um, it's tough because I can't imagine her getting paid very well in the public school system in Brooklyn, right? So she really cared to be a, she wanted to be a teacher, just like you. You want to be a cop uh, and you're needed. And I, I can't s- express that enough. Like I try to picture a world where with no law enforcement. It's defunded and, you know, the presence is less. I, I try to see what that world looks like. And I got to tell you, that's a grim sight. I know this because in my life, I grew up around the opportunists and, the, and the, the jerks and the scumbags. I seen them. I seen how they behave and how they think. And it's real fact that wherever they know that law enforcement is the least to be is where they're going to set up. And that can be yeah. said to anywhere. No one's safe. Without law enforcement, no one's safe. Opportunists will move to your neighborhood fast. And that's being seen on the other coast of the country right now. Uh, like you were saying, people are like stores are being robbed, calculated, right? They're calculating how much to rob to keep it under a certain amount so they don't get a, a greater charge. It's insane. <laughs> so, oh,
1: yeah. Like I said, man, that's what I tell people, man. It's just, there's so many crimes going on now that people just don't see or, you know, they're not affected by that. It's just crazy. Like I said, man, you know, like in Atlanta, uh, it's real big for people to steal cars, put a different VIN number on it and just drive around. you never know it's a stolen car, like I said, because it has a VIN number that matches the car. Things like that yeah. are happening around you. You have people that put these, you know, scanners on gas and all that stuff. Identity them, You know, took your credit card, and you won't know until months down the road, and that's one of the hardest things to recover from when somebody steals your identity or gets of your credit cards, so and you don't know about it. You got to fight that battle. I said, man, it's just crimes going. People are just doing things differently. Like I said, man, you know, it used to be like either they're going to rob you, shoot you, do stuff like that. But, man, people have become smart. It's become a business. And, you know, things like this is just, just out of control. Like I said, man, you might see the big bus all the time where officer might stop somebody and get a couple of pounds of marijuana, a couple of kilos of cocaine on and stuff. And people think, well, okay, well, the war on drugs, I said, that didn't put debt into most of those organizations. They don't even remember that. They're like, okay, let's talk to the gang. Like, it's just crazy how crime is now. And I say, I think about it, man. You, you got to have almost a specialist in almost every sector of crime now. Because you got to have somebody that's, you know, specialist in Facebook crimes. But, so, you know, people getting scammed off Facebook. Yep. It's just how it is, man. You know, they'll get your whole identity off of Facebook. And then, like I said, they'll run your credit cards and different things like that. You yeah. go to a store and people rob you. So, man, it's just pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, and those Facebook uh, con they are good, man. Like, listen, I, I've had, I've had, messages on Facebook. And because you know, your whole life is pretty much displayed there. So they know how to speak to you. They know what you like and they, mm-hmm. they tailor what it is that you want to hear to get. And I've had this happen uh, where a young, or I'm not going to say lady, I don't know who it was, was messaging about a pool cue that I really wanted to get because I, I shoot pool. And, mm-hmm. it, and so it was a pretty nice cue for a really low price. And so me, I was like, wow, that's a really good deal. And then I had to stop and think, Why, why would you sell that for almost $500 less than what it goes for? And then even more, why would you pick me? And that's what, you know, so it took that moment of that, that moment for me to figure it out. I messed with a person like, look, man, I'm not interested. And thank you. And then the next day I went to go look who the person is or like maybe report or whatever, gone. The whole account Mm -hmm. gone. So that's a prime example. And like you said, every time law enforcement comes with a good idea to prevent crime, criminals come with a brand new way to, to make crime. They have think tanks, so it's oh, yeah. yes, This is different. I mean, imagine again. Imagine a world without law enforcement and these people. Like, there's some really intelligent criminals out there, and you know, you have to match with really intelligent people in law enforcement. And you and it and it works its way up because you know, cops on the beat that are starting out versus the guy at the top of the hill who's who's you know an intelligent investigator slash a detective. They they, cut, they have to work in conjunction together, right? They have to be in concert or else it's not going to be easy to deal with criminals. Criminals, they, their whole existence is to find ways to slip through. And so that's why I, I saw, I don't know if you saw this, but it's about a year ago. I saw this lady on TV saying, oh, we just need to defund the police. This is out of control. I'm watching this woman rant. And all I can think in my head is like, well, what happens if they, you know, the criminals come to your neighborhood? And it's the same answer every time, you know, for me, it's like, you, you, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're going to be in trouble. So I don't That's know. Enough. What do yeah, you want like w-
1: to,
0: I'm sorry, get Eric.
1: Yeah. Like I said, uh, as far as your point is, you know, being a, a senior investigator or senior officer and, you know, training the young officer, like I said, I was just fortunate enough to be around other officers that had the will and that like, wanted to teach other officers that were younger to, uh, be better officers. And like I said, uh, I don't know if you know this guy, but his name is Dennis Benino. He has a a, a law enforcement training group called Police uh, Street Cop Training. And basically what he does is, man, actually, he was a law enforcement officer for a good little minute. But basically what he does is he's bringing real-life training to these different officers, either whether it's online or to the city. And just for me, in general, like for me, he's made my career just 10 times better. Like I said, you know, a lot of times, you know, officers don't maybe get the training that they need, you know, budgets, just different other reasons. But he's one of the people that have helped influence my career helped me progress like i said man he teaches so many different things and like i said you just gotta have those type of people that have that willing heart to teach others because they want to see people succeed and what to do like i said you want to see other officers succeed because i mean you want the crime you know to be under control i mean you never stop it but you need to have those people in place that are willing to take time to teach the younger officers to help them get up to par so when they encounter these different things that they never encounter they can handle it correctly so yeah what was his name again uh Dennis Benino, he's actually on my LinkedIn, but uh he has a company, I'll probably send you a link once we get finished talking called Street Cop Training. Uh basically like I said he has like a group with over a hundred thousand officers that follow him. And basically like I said, man, he, he's just been one of those people, man. He started off small on Facebook and man, it's turned into a huge thing. Like I said, man, he has about 15, 20 instructors under him now that teach different specialties for law enforcement to help us become better at what we do. And I mean, like I said, man, I can't say enough about his company. Like I say, he puts on some of the best training that I know of as far as law enforcement. And that's why I try to tell each officer that I meet somebody different. Hey, you whether you're young, old, in between, look this guy up, look up his company, look at the videos, because he has videos on Facebook that you can look at for free, and then you can join the private group of law enforcement and just see the things that he puts out. But like I say, it's, it's going to open your eyes to a different world, some things that you just don't pay attention to. And he helped me out tremendously in my career. Like I say, I started off from crime suppression, and by him helping me, I ended up becoming special operation day of the year, just by some of the cases I made. And like I say he took hours with me of just going through my traffic stop videos, working on me slowing down, talking to people, just trying to get a better grants to be a better law enforcement officer. And that's why I think almost every officer I know should at least train attend his training at least once. I'll link
0: that in the description for certain. I'm going to look him up too. I might get him on, um, you know, two sides to that though. Great program. He has, he's a, a great person for having it, but it takes like, you know, for you, you wanted to learn it. You applied it to yourself. You you put yourself mm-hmm. out there to do it. And, you know, that's my hat's off to you. That's that's powerful.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's what I tell uh, And that's one thing he told me. He like, you know, sometimes your department won't pay for the training. They won't give you hours. He said, sometimes you just got to take your own time. You got to take your vacation day. You got to take your own penny. I said, you want to become better at your craft. And like I said, eventually it'll pay off. You got to do that. And that's why I tell officer, like I said, man, you know, me, I wanted to be on crime suppression when I was on road patrol. So on my days off or when I didn't have anything to do when I was on road patrol, I went near these guys. If they need me to fill out paperwork, takes my job. So I did. I became students of them at their feet. And I say, well, you will become better at something. If you will become a better law enforcement officer. You seek out training to help you become a better one. And i say he's one of those people that will help you become a better law enforcement officer.
0: You know, my you you have the hallmarks of a great officer in every in every. Respect. I mean, I I, I applaud you. You're, you, it sounds to me like you're driven to do great things and probably greater things. What, where do you want to go from here?
1: Well, honestly, like I said, I always, I just want to be a good law enforcement officer. But uh, I just want to go somewhere and handle big cases. Uh, like I said, I've been on the investigative side, I've been on the road patrol side. Basically, I just want to go somewhere I can make a difference. Like I said, I'm just a person. Like I said, I I want to be the best at what I do. So whether that's being an investigator or being on road patrol, I want to be the best. But uh, I say, my sheriff always told me, he said, man, you got your bachelor's degree, you got your master's degree, try to go to state or federal, see if you can help out on that side. And he said, then you can, you know, kind of conjoin with the local law enforcement, help teach them or help, you know, solve cases for them. So that's one of the other things I want to do with Also, like I say, I recently just got my instructor certification for the state of Georgia. And that's another big thing is teaching, you know, recruits about the road and about the things they need to pay attention to to help prevent them from getting hurt on the job. I say, that's my second passion is being a, uh, uh, instructor, like I say, either in the academy or either I want to become an adjunct instructor at a college, maybe a community college or who knows a university, and teach basic law enforcement and just basically get people inspired. But you know, most time, instructors, basically in the college level, they're sometimes not people that's never been in this field. They just took you know the courses, so they don't kind of understand. I feel like I can bring a more realistic view to the criminal justice system if I become an instructor like that.
0: Yeah, I would agree, and that's needed too. You know, you you remind me of David Havens, a guy. Just he's a navy Navy SEAL on the show. You have that, uh, coach. Give me the ball. You have that attitude. Let me. I want to get. I'm gonna. Whatever it takes for me to succeed, I want to do that. That's a good thing to oh, yeah. have. I think. I think whatever you want to do, you'll do. Personally, that's what I think. I mean, you have that attitude. It's a good attitude to have, and that approach is that's a needed one because there has to be reality checks in training. I agree with that. You can't train somebody by a manual and follow the book left to right. So that when you're out there in the street or in a neighborhood or in a case, the criminals don't have a handbook that goes from left to right. You know what I mean? They're going to mm-hmm. ad lib. And so to have a realistic approach, uh, I think that's needed. I, and I think you should definitely push for that.
1: Yeah. And actually my, my, uh, my, my uh, sheriff was actually an instructor and he still is a good one. And like I like said, man. Just bringing that real life experience, you know, gives people a better perspective of what they're doing. Um, and don't get me wrong; I mean, it's a place for all of those instructors. Some of the ones that haven't been in the law enforcement side they'll still keep that bias. But like I said, it's law enforcement. You come to bias certain things. You're be like, okay, they should have, you know, did this and that. That's just part of being law enforcement. You got to have both sides. But I think having that realistic teacher that can teach the information that they need, and also add a side note in, like, okay, well, I've been in this situation, and things don't always go as planned. And yeah. then you can get real life examples and show real life videos. And then you might save that one student from going to that situation, uh, thinking that it's just going to happen this way. And you might save them from getting hurt or killed.
0: Yeah. You know, that ha- that's, that's a good point because you know, people, they, they train the books, they learn the narrative, they go get the job and they're like, wow, I don't remember learning any of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a different, it's a, di- a completely different experience than what I was learning. Uh, and I hear yeah. that a lot from a lot of different, uh, career paths. I don't know. I, I've, have you considered maybe getting into Marshall service?
1: Uh, you're talking about U.S. Marshals? U.S. Marshals. i I've thought about it. Uh, actually, I'm a pretty big boy. I say, uh, I've been working on trying to go federal, but like I said, they have like these PT standards. Like, say, I don't give a wrong. I don't mind running, but like running a mile and a half, for, like 12 minutes or less is pretty rough for me. Right. I'm working on it, but Eric likes to eat. And that's one thing I need to control for that. I'm going to eat a biscuit. That's saw that. But yes, that's one of the things that's on my list to either go state or federal. Like I say, uh like I say I've always told people I'm going to work. I've said, I've always been like that. Like even when COVID was going on and my supervisors and you know a division commanders told me like, okay, man, you need know, to slow down. You know, COVID's going on, you want to get people sick. I'm going to work. That's just how I am. I can't sit still. I have this obsession. I'm not saying try to be the best, but I wanna put good quality things out there. And that's how, always how I went. That's always how I feel like I succeeded. I say, uh, like I told you before, I went to instructor school and in passed this time. This is my third time going. Like I said, I've been twice. Like I say it's one of the hardest classes I've ever taken. But it's something I want to do, I was going to do it. I wanted to get on cross suppression and be one of the best people on there. That's what I did. I said, I seeked outside training, and I became the best. So that's just one of those things about it. Like I said, I know what goals I want to be. Like I said, I want to be either state or federal special agent. I'm working towards it. It might take me a little while. Don't make sure I make it happen.
0: No, I think it's going to happen, man. You, I'm telling you now, you have that. Coach, give me the ball. You know, you have that. And I when I hear that in people, everyone I've ever met in life before podcast, not you know, not even related. Anyone that has that attitude, they get what they want. They go where they want to go. You know, that's the only yeah. the only thing preventing them is probably what some weird circumstance, and then usually themselves, right? They just they yeah. take their foot off the gas. I, I I don't get that from you, you know. So.
1: Yeah, that's one thing I learned. Like say, I said, talking to one of the guys that I, I work with, man, he said that most of the time your biggest obstacle is going to be yourself. Like I say, most of the time you're going to talk yourself out of something. You're going to get thinking about all the things that could happen instead of focusing on your goal. And a lot of times that's just what happens. Like I said, I was just doing it to myself. And I'm like, well, okay, I don't like running all this stuff. Basically, give myself an excuse out instead of just saying, okay, I'm just going to make it happen. So a lot of times, like I said, it's just a middle thing. You end up talking yourself out of something, or either you're trying to put up the obstacles. You know, just in case you don't make it, you have an excuse. I'd say it. No matter what you want to do, is no excuse. You can make it happen. You just got to make sure you have your head on straight and you willing to do what it needs to done, what needs to be done to make it happen.
0: Agreed. You know, I mean, you lost fifty pounds. I know people are struggling with ten. <laughs> you know, so.
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it happened, man. I said, man, I did that keto diet, man. It worked for a little bit, but man, I said, my mother and then my wife, they love to cook, and I said, man, he make these big meals, and I say the food be so good, and I said. When I eat, I'm not gonna eat a small portion. That's just how I am. I'm gonna make sure I'm good and full when I eat. And like I say, it's just it's one of those things I got to learn how to control myself.
0: You know, I have a, a guy that comes on the show frequently. His name's Alfie Crescentini's, a chef. I have known him for years. And mm-hmm. he had a, a heart. Well, he had a heart attack, and he had to change his diet, and he dropped some significant weight. And so I, I speak to him about diets all the time. And you know, same for me is like I, I could do really well, but I have these cravings for things that I've had. My like pizza is my weakness. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not easy. And so for you to drop 50 pounds, man, my hat, that's not, look, that's not done with, you know, I'll try it out this week. That's discipline.
1: <laughs> and that's, it, 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 it took about a year to do it. But I, like I told people, I said, I've always been big into working out and lifting weights and training. Like I said, I, I was brought up around it from wrestling to football to karate. And stuff. I've always been big on it. Like I said, I'm really big into weightlifting. And all that stuff. But like I said, I always tell myself, Hey, you'd be this much better if you say discipline. And then what you need to do, like I said, man, you know, I'm keeping back in the powerlifting. Like I said, I have a good coach and all that stuff. But if I stay disciplined to everything, as far as my diet and everything else, I just know I can be a lot better than where I'm at. But some people can diet. Some people can, you know, think about, okay, well, I'm not going to eat sugar. I'm not going to have any bread for a whole month. Like I say I eat with most of the guys I eat with, they're big guys. Like I say, I see you eat the burger. I'm like, okay, man, I'm not going to eat it. By the time I look at that salad, look at that burger, I'm like, okay, I'm back up there ordering me a burger. It's just all about self-control.
0: Yeah, I agree, man. And that's it's that's that's a big percentage of it, man. So I mean, it sounds like you surround yourself with good people, which is another good thing. Again, you had a great mentor. You know, Sheriff's good. It's that's important because I think you're good at recognizing who you need around you, which is a really that's 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 another big thing for people. You know, I've had Ooh, friends yeah. in my life that they you know they walk that path of like you know I kind of want to be a jerk or whatever. And even though I recognize that they're still my friend, but at some point you have to recognize that you have to separate a little bit because you want to take that next step to do something greater. And uh, you've done that. I, you've done that. I, I fully believe whatever you want to do, you're going to do it.
1: I believe it. Yes, I appreciate it. But yeah, like I said, uh, peer pressure is a bad thing. That's why I say you got to make sure you hang your, hang around the right people. Uh, like I said, I, I grew up in martial arts, but uh, one of the guys that I team with, uh, my is Robbie Williams, his father was the grandmaster. His name was Howard Williams. Uh, he passed away back in 2011. But anyway, man, he was in my life for about four or five years. But the lessons that he taught me, man, I said, he stayed with me uh, my whole life. And like I said, he was an archbishop too. But if you ever seen the guy, he's about 5'7, five, five, maybe 5'10, but he's a stalky guy. But he had long dress that came to his back. He had gray eyes. And he was just one of those people that when he walked in the room, people just stopped what they're doing because they just wanted to hear what he had to say. He just had that thing about him. Yeah. But he always told me. He said, "He said I'm, I'm a brass person. I'm gonna say what needs to be said. He said I'm not gonna hold back for anybody. I'm gonna tell you what you need to be, what needs to be done, and you need to do it." And he's been like there with us. And I say, you know, I look back at it now. He was teaching me and my cousin lessons. Basically, he had us out there. He had about eight cars. He had us wash all of them. He told me, he said, you do right by me, I'll do right by you." And he said, "If you come out here basically and have do these cars, I'm not gonna do right by you." And like I said, you know, we wouldn't expect the money, but if we did the cars right the way he wanted to, back him up, he'll reward us. He was like that all the time with food service. He said, if you treat me right, take care of me, I'm going to take care of you. And I I have said has been times we go to Applebee's, might get $40 combined with all of us. If the waiter was good, he's giving these people three, $400, but he's always said, if you're blessed, be a blessing to others. And like I say, that's just how you live his life. But even as far as martial arts, he was old school. He told us, he said, man, all that new school stuff, you know, people talking about they can't do this, can't do that. We're not gonna do that. He put us in a horse stance. He said, "You stay there until I get tired." He's not even doing it. You're not gonna get tired until he's tired. I said, "Man, he just trained us like that." And one of the biggest lessons he always told us, man, you know, and that's where I get my winning mindset from is, if you don't win, you don't eat. He told us that. He said, if you don't win these matches, you're not gonna eat. I like to eat. What do we do, we don't quite win. <laughs> that's just how I go about it.
0: That's strong. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's, it's powerful incentive. You know, that's, that's a mental incentive. You know, who's, who is really good at being a, like really good at giving himself mental incentives. Michael Jordan. Did you ever watch that uh, Netflix documentary, the, the last dance?
1: Oh yeah. I watched it. Yeah.
0: Man, that dude made up shit just so he'd f- fight harder. You know? I mean, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. if you looked it's, at it's him the wrong mentality. way, yeah, if you looked at him the wrong way, like there was one episode and I didn't notice about him. He was sick he had food like food poisoning and mm-hmm. he went somewhere mentally and and just and and he got out there and won so for me when i watched that i'm like god there's just no excuses I, I can't i can't make excuses when i see shit like that it's not about his fame fortune or his shoes it's what he did in moments where it's needed he dug deep and that's where i mean you dig deep i have to learn to dig deep like that right after watching that documentary i, I said to myself like this guy went to his mind and created reasons to win. And just like you're the, you're, you know, the martial arts instructor, you know, if you don't you don't win, you don't eat. And that's, mm-hmm. that's strong because it gives you that motivation to do
1: whatever you have to do. So I applaud it gives, that. It gives you that focus you need. That's why I try to tell people that uh, I was saying earlier. I say, it's all about mindset. I say most people, I say they defeat themselves before they get defeated in, in a race or whatever they're doing. Like, like I said, they always say, it. I hear all the time people are applying for jobs, or they're applying for promotion. I'm going to apply, but you know I'm probably not going to get it. You got to get that stuff out your mind. So you see yourself making it, you see yourself being out like everybody else, you make it happen. And I said, that's just one of the things that you got to keep on. Like I said, man, it's going to be a constant battle. I said, it happens all the time. And like I said, my partner, uh, Cedric Woods, he put me on this, this movie and this book called The Secret. And I like oh, said, yeah. man, that it's, it's helped me tremendously. And like I said, I got to watch it every couple of weeks just to keep my mind together, because like, you had to keep, your mind's just like any other the most. You had to keep, you know, exercising to keep it going. So focusing on the positive has helped me out tremendously. But I said, I'm not one of those people that's always been a negative nasty. I'm not going to focus on negatives But sometimes I can doubt myself. And I say when you start to doubt yourself, you leave that, that opportunity for it to come in. And a lot of times you're going to, you know, manifest it. And so that's why I tell people, you know, look at these different motivation videos of people that's been through these problems. They had key focus on what they want to do. They didn't want to live and poverty their whole life. They didn't want to work at McDonald's their whole life. They
0: focus on what they need to do and they made it happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I like motivational stuff too. I'm big into that. Like, you know, again, I, I said, I talked about him earlier. Denzel Washington, one of my favorite actors of all time, all time. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched this maybe a couple of years ago during COVID anyway. And I didn't realize he made like speeches publicly. I listened to one of his speeches and I emerged from that with a, with a new train of thought. I'm like, wow, this, this, again, it's another person expressing like, if you really want to do it, you got to go do it. You can't sit around wondering, you can't, and if you cast doubt, what happens there is that that doubt lingers in your mind, and it, it where the energy moving forward is great will be reduced because you have that little bit of doubt lingering. So I agree with all of that. And you surrounded yourself with pretty good people in your life, man. Uh, again, not to not to uh, blow the horn again, but I think you're going to do whatever you want to do, personally. I, I, I imagine I'm going to watch it happen. I'm going to stay in contact with
1: you. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Yeah, like I said, man, you just got to have people that's going to... Motivate you and you motivate them. Uh, I said, uh, as far as the motivation videos that he's talking about, man, I said, man, uh, I was looking on YouTube just for motivation stuff, and I found a guy named Les Brown. Uh, Man, his motivation videos, you know, they just keep you on your toes, man. He talks about you got to stay hungry. and Like I said, that's one of the things about it, like man. You want something to happen, you got to stay hungry for it to happen. And when you're hungry for something, you're going to keep working until you make it happen. I said, you're hungry. And I said, man, that's just one of those things, man. You got to keep that positive mindset so you can keep going forward.
0: You hear that from a lot of boxers, too, that they, they lose the hunger to win, right? They become complacent. And uh, that's that's usually the beginning of a decline. So, yeah, I agree with that, too.
1: That's what complacency kills.
0: I agree. Well, Eric, we hit it. Um, we're going to do this again. Uh, I'm glad you came on. I'm glad I had a, uh, you gave me your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Yes, I, I appreciate it. I enjoyed the conversation. Like got tell people, I say nothing better than a stimulating conversation between two people.
0: Agreed. And I, I you know, and that's what a podcast is. A good conversation people get to eavesdrop on, right? So <laughs>
1: Yes sir. Pretty much. Yes, sir.
0: All right. Well, I'm gonna say uh good day to whoever's listening. I'm gonna talk to Eric in post. And uh Eric say goodbye to everyone.
1: All right, everyone have a good time. Y'all be safe.